0: morning church let's pray Um, praying to the king of kings the god of great glory and we as children get the privilege to talk to him Um, let's open up and do that first heavenly father thank you for sending your son we We're sinful, we've rejected you, we've exchanged your glory for another, and yet you loved us, and you paid the price, and today we can worship you, we can approach your throne, we can have a relationship with you, all because you're full of grace, and you love us. Thank you. Lord, as we look at your scripture today, at your word, may we submit under it. May we have the eyes to see what you want and the ears to hear. And may this vessel that is going to speak from it be just a tool. May may I not get any glory and may I not speak falsely. I ask for your help and for your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. So let me ask you a question. We'll start off with that. This is a question that has been asked throughout this series. If this is your first time here in a while, we have we are concluding a series on the attributes of God that we have titled This Is Our God. And this question has been asked throughout, I know at least a couple times, and it is this Do you know God? Now the question within itself needs no more conviction than what the normal answer will actually give. It's a heavy question and it is full of conviction, but I am going to take it a step further. and I'm going to ask it this way. Do you know God because God has created you? And he has revealed himself to you. Or do you know God? Or could it be that you know God because you created a God and you have, re- you have revealed yourself to him? And Before we dismiss that as though it's not applicable, let me repeat it one more time so maybe the Spirit might move to those who might need it. Do you know God because God is the creator and he has created you and God the creator has revealed himself to you and that's where your source of knowledge of God comes from or could it be that you have created a God and you have revealed yourself to him? One of the greatest tragedies within the church, as A.W. Tozer says, see if I get this right. There it is. That the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking from worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately but little by little and without her knowledge. And her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. You see, there are many people, there are many children of God who would claim that they know God. But their view of God is so low, it so lacks the majesty that God deserves, that the God they worship is not even worthy to be called a God. Their view, the majesty that their thoughts produce of God, make him not, none greater than a creature. There are most likely people within the church churches across all of America who will say that they know God But today, when they go to worship God, their thoughts about God, their knowledge of God derives solely from their idolatrous heart. They have made up a God who they are comfortable with. They have made up a God that makes sense to them. That what he does is rational. They will say things like this, my God wouldn't do that. Or, I wouldn't worship a God who would. And that becomes the source of their knowledge of God. It's their own reason. Or, that source has come from heretical teaching, from family members, from friends, from heretical preachers, from society or wherever it may be that's outside of the Word of God, if that is their source of knowledge, they have created a God that is not the true God. And today, they stand worshiping a God that does not exist. They stand giving tithes and offerings and singing to a God that is no more God than you and I. Church, Oh, it is so important that our idea of God would correspond as nearly as possible to the true being of God. It is of utter importance. Guys, and I'm not talking about our Sunday school answers or our doctrinal statements or our creedal proclamations because most of us if I was to ask you who God is could give me a correct biblical answer many of you guys are raised up with uh, the the Westminster's catechism memorizing these and in it is written probably one of the greatest definitions on who God is and it says this it says that God is a spirit infinite eternal and unchangeable In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And that is sound. But that does not answer the question, do you know God? Because anyone can declare that. To find the answer to that question, we have to look underneath all of the religiosity that we've had. All of the Sunday school lessons. All of the memorization. And we have to look at who God is to you when you are alone before him. When you are to sing praises to him and you are to make decisions. When you think about God, that, at that point, displays your true knowledge of God. As A.W. Tozer said that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. You know why? Because out from that derives all motives and decisions. It all follows how you view God. Or how you view a God. If money is your God, every decision will be made to pursue that. And it's my opinion that this low view or inaccurate view of God is obviously the growing issue of our society but tragically it's the growing issue within our church that the God we have fashioned has grown out of an idolatrous heart rather than an awe-striking revelation of God today I'd like to preach on this tragedy I'd like to show us biblically how God has warned us about this. And ultimately, I'd like to show us biblically how we as individuals can bring back the departed glory in our view of God. Because this is what we desperately need. And let me just precursor the sermon this way. I understand that what I just said was hard, it was direct, it was to the point, it didn't leave for much, um, much exception, but please understand my aim is not to produce hopelessness. I mean, I understand that sometimes preachers can point out a reality of our sinful selves that, that reveals something so far from holiness that the arrival of it seems almost impossible, and especially with the question, do you know God? I mean, I don't think there should be anyone in this room who would ever naturally say that they have known God because those words imply kind of a definiteness, a matter-of-factness of of experience, which most of us, I think, would have to admit that in this realm we are strangers. But like Justin said last week, this topic of knowing God is something that we will never fully arrive at to completeness in we never will as a matter of fact this road of knowing god is a journey that we will be on for eternity check out this verse john seventeen three. this is in Jesus' prayer and this is what he declares he says and this is eternal life so this is what life eternal is all about that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternity will always be about knowing God. And guess what? We will never arrive to full completeness to that. So, today, what I hope to produce, what I hope the Spirit of God will produce... Is not hopelessness. Is not guilt unless that is what you need because you don't even know God at all. But rather, for the believer in the room, I hope that the word of God will produce an ache to pursue the true knowledge of God with all their might. And I want to warn us against what the Bible warns us against, which is idolatry. Which so easily creeps in. So let's start with the concern. Let's start with the warning. So, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Familiar portion of Scripture. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, "For starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So here we get our context. This is God speaking to Moses. God has just delivered the Israelites out of captivity, out of slavery from Egypt. He had done that through the 10 plagues and he's delivered them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And here God is about to declare what he desires now. He's about to separate this people and these people need to know the heart of God. And so he begins to give the Ten Commandments. So this is what he says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So number one, you shall have no other gods before me. First thing he declares is God says, listen... I am the only God. I am the only one that deserves the position of God. Don't place anyone or anything else in that position. That's mine. I am the only God. So you shall have no other gods before me. Then number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in, in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Here we are introduced to our, our common tendency and the warning against idolatry. So now when we think of idolatry, what is the first thing that comes to our mind? Usually, idolatry, we think of, you know, the Hindu statues, we think of totem poles, we think of, you know, the sacrifices that third world natives perform, or we might even think biblically and be like the dancing of the prophets of Baal. You know, those are the initial thoughts of idolatry. Now, we're not that closed-minded nor unaware to think that that's all that idolatry consists of. You know, we will understand that anytime we put anything before God and we bow down to worship it, that's idolatry, right? So we will add struggles in our culture, money. We will add sex. We'll add prestige. We'll add relationships. We could make a pile of lists of what we would call idols. Now my question to you, is that what this commandment is actually referencing if it was and I'm gonna I'm gonna say no because if it was strictly dealing with that kind of idolatry this commandment would simply be repeating the initial commandment to have no other gods right are we dealing so when we're saying okay I'm putting money as a god is that not the repeat of the first commandment That is not what this commandment has been understood as historically. Historically, this commandment is referencing is not only the worship of false gods, but watch this, but also in the worship of the true God by images. Important to see this, guys. Idolatry occurs when we assume God to be other than he is we could be worshiping the true God but when we assume him to be other than he is we are committing idolatry so when we go to worship and we begin in our minds to think of God as something to provide an image of God we will at that point commit idolatry you know why Because when our thoughts go to an image, the only image that we can create is something that we've seen before. It's something that we know. Thus, we will make God to be like a creature. That is the only place our minds can go. And ultimately, what this is doing when we go there is it's corrupting the glory of God. This is is a monstrous sin. A God that is created in the shadows of a fallen heart will most certainly be no likeness of the true God. It won't be anything close. This is what God rebuked in the the sinner in Psalms 50-21 when he says this, You thought I was altogether like you. I mean, think about this. In heaven right now, the angels look upon God and day and night, they declare this song, holy, holy, holy. The word meaning other, other, other. Completely different, unique, separate. And for us to depict God as a creature must surely be a serious offense to God Almighty, whose glory is beyond description. Guys, this was the issue with the golden calf. Okay? It wasn't though God got so worked up because they were all of a sudden left the God that they were worshiping and now worshiping a different God. Listen to what Aaron said when he made the golden calf. This is how he said it. He said, this is our God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. What they were doing is they were trying to take the God that brought them out of, the, out of Egypt, Yahweh, and they were trying to attribute to him something that they felt was a good imagery of him. So they knew of a calf to be strong, and so they decided to form this image and bow down to that. And God says, no! I cannot be described as anything that has been created. You limit my glory when you do that. So when we entertain thoughts of God as though he is like us, we will naturally pervert his character. So when we describe him to sound like us or to act like us or to think like us that is idolatry this is why Isaiah 55 God says and my ways are not your ways my thoughts are not your thoughts they are so much higher they're so much glorious they're so much more perfect don't describe me as anything that you know It is, and this, God, listen to this guys, God will not stand for thoughts or imaginations of him that are not worthy of him. The effects of this sin is absolutely crushing. Go to your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, got to see this. Starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God, the anger of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who do what? This is the ungodliness. This is the unrighteousness. That they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So the truth that is known, that is available, they push it away. They ignore it. And what truth is that? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. God, his attributes are seen outside of even his word. Creation displays it. How does it display it? Look at what it says. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made... Even his eternal power. It is clear to look at creation that there must be a powerful being to run this universe, to sustain everything, to allow crops to grow, to allow the sun to rise, to allow rain to fall, to control this. Must display to the people of the creatures that the that there is a being who is powerful. And number two. And his Godhead, which talks about his faithfulness, his goodness, his his love. And all of creation shows this, that he is allowing food to rise, that he's he's giving water for when it needs, and he is providing. We can see that through creation. So those things are clearly seen. But here's the sin. Because, verse 21, because although they knew God... They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. This is where it starts. It does not start with an image that you bow down to. It starts by ignoring the truth about God here. Continue to read what it says, professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. He's like, I will not stand for me being viewed as a creature. He gave them up to the uncleanness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Why again? Because who exchanged the truth of God for a lie? And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up the vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of the heir which was due. Church, realize this, and don't be surprised by this, the decision that was made by the Supreme Court is an expected decision. Why? Because they have an idolatry, an idolatrous heart. They worship someone other than our God. Thus, God gives them up. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Again, it's about the knowledge. It's about ignoring the truth about God. God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. All of sin happens with the initial sin of thinking wrongly about God. You finish in the Romans and it gives you a list of all the sins that happened because they exchanged the glory of God to make him look like a corruptible thing. This is why John 1 will say it this way. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We know that we know God as if we are obeying him because not knowing God gives the opposite effect. It is absolutely impossible, here at this church, it is impossible to keep our moral practices or, our, sound, or our, our, our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. If our idea of God is totally skewed, we cannot live righteously. this is why I love what A.W. Tozer says in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says that the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it once more is worthy of him. That the greatest calling that we should pursue with all our heart is to find a way to elevate our view of God. And this is Parents, is the greatest thing you could give your children is a high view of God. This is the warning to not think wrongly about God, to not create a low view of God. So how do we accomplish this? How do we make sure this does not happen? Well, number one, God must reveal himself to us. There's no other way. God has to reveal himself to us. 1 Corinthians 2.11, I'll just read it for you. "For For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritually judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he, may, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. One more. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Listen, guys, first thing we have to realize is that God is, is incomprehensible. We can't picture him with any image because there is nothing that we could portray that would represent God. He's we can't understand it. If you've ever read Ezekiel's image of the throne room of God, you'll read it and feel more confused than if you didn't read it. Because what he's trying to describe, he has no words to give to. God is not comprehensible. So it would seem to be true that our only hope is that God would tell us what He is like. I was talking to Carmen. I told him, told her that this is what I was going to say, but knowing a person is probably one of the hardest things to accomplish on the earth. I did you not say? To fully know someone is probably one of the hardest things to accomplish. Because To know someone, you have to commit yourself to their company. You have to commit themselves to their interests. You have to be ready to identify with their concerns. You have to be completely involved with that person. And not only that, but you have to, it requires a knowledge of not only their past history, but how they would react and behave under specific circumstances. It requires a great deal to fully know someone. For instance, if you were to say, if a person was to say, um, that they know, they know a horse, okay? Most likely, they're not referencing the fact that they have seen that horse before. Most likely, they, they mean they know how it behaves and can tell you how it ought to handle. That's most likely what they're referencing. But with the case of human beings, this becomes very, very difficult. The reason being is because human beings keep secrets. We can't fully know something unless that human being allows you to see the fact about them. You could spend years with someone and watch them and still feel like at the end of those years that you really don't know that person at all. Thus, and this is important to hear, thus the quality and the extent of our knowledge of other people depends more on them Than it does us. For instance. I've been married going to be nine years. This November to my wife. And every year. I am learning more and more and more. Why? I like to think of myself as super observant. Of the woman whisperer. But I'm not quite that way honestly. I am not that observant. But the reality is. I learn more about my wife. As she reveals more to me I'm dependent on her to display the things she loves to display the things that hurt her to display what makes her as beautiful she is and that continues to increase every year now think about this for a moment imagine for a second if you were if you were going to be introduced to someone whom you might feel as above you okay Someone who is higher in rank, who is a little bit more prestigious. This is the reality that the more conscious you are of your inferiority, the more that you will feel absolutely dependent on them to take the initiative in the relationship. I mean, think about it for a moment. If I was going to be introduced to LeBron James, like the reality is I'm not going to go and say, Hey, LeBron, let's hang out, let me get to know you. It's going to be fully dependent on him. He is going to decide whether or not we are going to have a relationship. And if he does say, yeah, come in. I want to to reveal myself to you. I, I want you to know who I am. If my life seemed dull at that point, at that point it wouldn't. Life had drastically changed because the one who I saw as above me wants me to know him. What higher privilege than that? And this is an absolutely poor illustration of what it means to know God. But throughout scriptures, you see it illustrated this way. The Bible describes knowing God as a son knowing his father, as a wife knowing her husband, a subject knowing his king, and a sheep knowing his shepherd. But here's the beauty behind this. That in all those analogies, in every single one of them, what you see is the one who is the knower is looking up to the one who's being known. But what's awesome is in all those illustrations, the one who's being known always takes the position of the one responsible for the welfare of the one who is doing the knowing. Guys, and this is the most important thing. It, this is why it is so important. The importance is not as important that you know God as much as it is that God knows you. All knowledge of God is fully dependent on the sustaining initiative of God. Throughout scriptures, you'll see it this way. You'll see God talking to Moses, and he says, I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. To Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Jesus, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They shall never perish. I love how Paul says it here in Galatians 4 9. But now after you have known God, or rather, you are known by God. Our, Our knowledge of God always follows God's sovereign choice to know us. We are utterly dependent on the grace of God for our knowledge of Him. We desperately need Him to initiate this. This should drastically change our prayer life. Guys, dependence is always displayed in prayer. You'll, when you get to a spot, when you realize there is nothing you can do to get something you need, your only place to go is to ask the person who can provide. And it is utterly important that we are on our knees begging for the Lord to reveal himself to us. This is something day and night we desperately need to be asking the Lord. Not just for us, but for those who don't know him. Paul did. Watch what Paul says in Colossians. For this reason we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual and understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He says that we do not cease to pray for you that you would grow in the knowledge of God. Why? Because Paul is dependent on God. To give them the knowledge of God. Guys, this is something that we have to realize that we are dependent on and we have to plead with the Lord. And we plead the Lord in faith. Knowing this, knowing, I'll, I'll read it to you. Knowing Matthew 7:7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Praying is our first aspect in how we go about it. There are positions we have to take. Throughout Scripture you'll see positions that the Lord is more apt to actually reveal Himself to these type of people. Number one, and we'll just go through them really quickly, He is a rewarder for those who actually diligently pursue Him. Throughout Scripture this is the common theme for those who God rewards. It's those who diligently pursue Him. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven through thirteen. This is talking to the nation of Israel. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You remember. You remember the the Hebrews passage where it says, He is a rewarder for those who diligently seek after Him. Guys, when was the last time that has been your full heart? Early in the morning, having to get up because I need to know you, Lord. Begging Him, opening up the Word of God. Because that is what you have to do. That's the diligence of your life to find and know God. He is a rewarder for those who diligently seek after him. Number two, his humility is a must. Remember James 4, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. Matthew 5.8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. No proud person can see God. No person walking in as though they deserve to be there will ever know God. Let me close with this by just saying why this is so important. Now throughout scripture, God declares the reason on why he created us. Isaiah 46, 3-7, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by name, who I created for my glory. God created you for his glory. That's the purpose on why we are here. Colossians 1, 16, All things were created through him and for him. I want you to look at this passage, though. It's one that really stood out to me. John 17, 1 through 3. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Did you guys catch that? That he is going to give eternal life to as many as God has given to him. Saint, child of God, you have to realize this. That you are God the Father's love gift. To Jesus God the Father gave you to Jesus Jesus paid for you with his life why and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent so that you would glorify Jesus by knowing him by recognizing him for who he is your worship to Jesus is the gift that God gave him and when we fail to see Jesus for who he is we couldn't be any less like what we were called to do We must diligently pursue our knowledge of God in all humility, begging the Lord to reveal himself to us. Why? Well, personally, it's the best thing for us. There's no greater joy than the person who knows their God. No greater joy. The world will distract us or will want to distract us Friends and family, as you pursue this wholeheartedly, will try to pull you back. Those who are running hard after God, people don't like. But we must be like... New book that I'm reading. Must be like Bunyan's Pilgrim. Who when he was getting ready to leave the land to go follow, to find eternal life, as everyone else was saying come back, don't go, don't go. He plugged his ears and he said, life, life, eternal life. That's what he wanted more than anything. That has to be our pursuit. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so in need of you. In all aspects of life, but in this one To know you is what we desperately, desperately need. Will you please grant us this? Will you please send your spirit in our hearts and show us what you are like? Because out from that comes real worship. Out from that comes real joy. You are so holy, Lord. Forgive us for our our idolatry and the places where we have made you less in our minds. Thank you for your son and that we have access to you solely through him. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.